So, our keynote, please uh, welcome Pablo for uh, ten, 10 years' journey. Yeah, here we go. Please welcome. Um, well, first of all, I would like to say thank you to the organization for inviting me again to come to France. Um, Je suis toujours très content de venir ici et pratiquer un peu mon français, but I have to switch to English, okay? So, um, uh, it's good to exercise your separation, your brain, right? So you make sure that you don't mix, start mixing things. So, so I, I'm going to. So when I, when I talked to Christophe, um, he was proposing me to 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 make a um, a short trip on on what has happened in Netflix during the last ten years. It's going to be hard to summarize all that has happened. But I'm just going to give you just a glimpse uh, and a highlights of the more interesting stuff. Also, for people that are not very much familiar with NetFilter, I'm going to make a quick summary of what we have, what we are offering. So, what, what is NetFilter? The first thing that you, comes to your mind when you think about NetFilter is, is that IP tables? I was talking to someone yesterday, he was telling me, IP tables, right? Yes, so it's, it's a flagship software that we are offering in the project. Um, it's widely used, we have lots of users, it's almost everywhere. And, but it's not the only thing that we offer in the project. I mean, IP tables is very versatile. You have, we have more than 100 extensions. We have extensions to, to make LED lights blink for each packet that matches. Kind of very crazy things that you can do with it, right? So, um, but it's, as I said, we, we have way more things. We have, um, we have contract, the connection tracking system. It's, it's, it is basically a system that allows you to, to do a stateful filtering that is quite, quite handy, it's quite convenient. It's basically just a, a table, let's say roughly. So, and it's going to, to store the state information on the flow. So you can do flow tracking for stateful protocols like TCP or um, SCTP and also DCCP has some sort of statefulness behavior. Th those are kind of protocols that now are widely used, but yes, for TCP, as I said. And, and we, are, we also support stateless protocols as UDP. So even though they are stateless, um, we, we can do some sort of pool man tracking that is, as I said, convenient to, to define your rule set. So um, on top of, oh, this is not good. <laughs> Yes, on, uh, on top of the contract subsystem, we have, we have the NAT engine. Um, so it's, it's basically a dependency. We support both IPv4 and IPv6 NATs. And we have also a quite uh, extensible login infrastructure. We can um, log packets to the kernel buffering. We can log packets to send, send, send lo login messages to user space. Um, from user space, we have ulogd2 that can do all kind of transformation of, the, of those messages that are those login messages that are received from the kernel, and then you can transform that to JSON representation or whatever. You can do all kind of great things, send those messages through through the network, and all the kind of flexibility that you need for logging. We also have user space queuing uh, that Eric has been talking about. That that is um, quite popular feature that allows you to basically perform uh, packet handling from user space. It's something, it's rather old infrastructure. It was introduced in 2005, and it's still around, and I'm quite surprised that there are still people asking for that, making questions on that. 
Uh, there are more things that are not being shown in that, in that um, uh, picture that is also transparent proxying. Um, way, way more things we can do. Um, and here, I mean, in, in blue, it's basically, it, we are representing what, what is the user space code base, and the remaining blocks are everything integrated into the kernel. One of the things that I have made NetFilter so popular is that you can combine it with all the subsystems in the kernel. So, and that's probably the reason why you're using Linux, right? Because you can reuse all those components, you can configure them, combine them in a legal fashion, right? And you don't have to write your programs by yourself, you only have to type commands, and then that configuration is going to adapt to your needs, right? And you're going to reuse code that has been developed by third party, by all the developers that are supposed to know what they're doing, right? And so um, here we also have NF tables that I'm going to talk about. NF tables is, is an effort to replace all these tools. Basically, what, 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 in, what, what, we, have, what, what, what we had in, in 1998 is initially is IP table support, but then someone came and said, oh, we should support IPv6. And, and the, what, what it happened is that someone just copy and paste the code and just change to support IPv6. So we got, we got the, the code base from IPv6 tables from IP6 tables was basically a, um, a fork from IPv4 and then someone else came and said I would like to do bridge and then someone else came and said I would like to do ARP filtering and then we ended up having a um, basically the copy and paste of I mean four, four clones of the original IP tables that have actually diverted in time and also four tools so one of the one of the goals is to, to of NF tables is to, to consolidate that I, I just it's not working. Not working. Yeah. No. So, but before I do so, I do so. I would like just to to um, make a quick uh, summary in terms of history. Uh, we have 10, 20 years of history, so it's quite. It's code that is rather consolidated. So, um, it's twenty years of community work. Um, it was started in late uh, 1998 by Paul Rusty Russell and, and other and, and Aussie, Aussie developers then got merged one year later to the kernel.2.4. I show up in, in 2005. Uh, I was considered to be a latecomer at that time. And then in 2006 I started making my, my first serious contribution that was basically I was implementing a Netlink interface for the connection tracking subsystem and also the user space tooling and and then in 2007 I was asked to join the, the filter core team for those that don't know the, the core team is just a handful of people that are basically um, doing the development work making the decisions uh, they basically have the right access to, to, to come in and push changes into the repositories it's mostly a team composed of people that are traditionally have been in Europe, but also we got these crazy Australians, right, participating in the development. And then uh, in 2011, I became the the uh, Netflutter maintainer. So, so I'm basically in charge of taking and and having a, the last word on some contribution that is um, posted on the mailing list. So it's been seven years doing this stuff. It can be overwhelming at times. 
um, it's going faster and faster. And but hopefully there is more people also helping reviewing. So it's not it's not that I always have to say something because there are also very also very smart and talented people showing up and saying this shouldn't be done in this way. So and and then one of the one of the interesting stuff that happened in the last ten years is the merge of NF tables that happened in 2013. So starting kernel 3.13, we got this new infrastructure to basically reuse, that allows us to reuse all of the existing, existing components, and but just replace IP tables, right? So why, why something new? Um, why couldn't we just take IP tables and extend it? It, it was not easy. There is a, a, a number of problems in the IP tables interface that were not allowing us to, to get the flexibility that we need. And but I'm just I know I'm going to focus on the on the user space side, right? So on on what what matters to most users. So one of the things that that users were complaining about was the fact that you have to use four different tools to 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 configure the different families that we support. And the, the worst thing is that um, some of those tools they 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 are they they are showing inconsistencies. The syntax is different. For example, EB tables. Um, the EB table maintainer at that time decided that uppercase was not good, so he decided that all all all, all commands, all options type in in the in the EB tables should be done in lowercase, right? Which, I mean, it's good because that thing that you have to place sometimes things in uppercase and lowercase in IP table syntax is not that nice, but. It was a problem because it, it was starting to, to divert from, from the original IP tables um, code base. So um, with NF tables, we have a way to consolidate all that, to have one single tool to rule all of the existing families. And we are offering a, a, a common syntax, syntax for that. What else? Um, people like scripting. You find lots of scripts on the internet with IP tables commands. Right, because people like to have variables, because uh, people like to invoke another script that they can include in the main script, because sometimes you, they, they auto generate rules and that kind of stuff. And, and then we were all the time telling them on the mailing list that they have to use at the same time IP table to restore, because IP tables restore provides the way to restore a rule set in an atomic way. Because if you use scripts with IP tables, if you use a bash script, it's not going to be atomic. I mean, for each IP tables call, it's actually going to create a new blob with the rule set, and it's going to replace it. And it's actually rather slow if you load self-and, 10 self-and, lots of rules. So, so that thing about having IP tables restore was not mixing with, with, with user needs. So we, we needed extended extended scripting capabilities. That is something that we already support built in in NF tables. So we have variable definitions built in. We can use them from there. We can include all the rule sets. Those rule sets that can be included could be also auto-generated. Another, th another thing is um, we wanted to offer an integrated, integrated set support. Probably you know about IP set. So IPZ was an extended development uh, that is basically happening on top of, of IP tables that you can, that you can um, basically there is a set match and there is an independent IPZ 
command line tool that allows you to create sets. And then using the set match, you can match on those sets that you create on the, to see if there is a matching element in that set that you create. Basically, the idea of introducing sets is to, to reduce the number of rules. Intuitively, the more rules you have, the slower you are going to go. So there is a performance drop that depends on the number of rules. Actually, intuitively, the, the, the thing is that the more code you run, the slower things are going to be, right? So that's, I mean, it's always more complex than that, right? But that's an intu intuitive idea to keep in mind, right? So if you can do something with very little code, things are going to run faster, right? So how could we do to reduce the amount of rules that needs to be inspected so we find what to do with the packet and then let it go or drop it or do the action that we want to do? To do? So we could, we could group rules using this, this set feature and this is something that, um, for example, in, in a typical IP, IP6 rule set, you have to accept neighborhood advertisements so you can update your neighborhood catch, otherwise you are not going to have connectivity at all. Um, you don't want to turn your uh, computer into a, a um, 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 oh, I forgot the name of this. So basically it's just to, to, to what was the name of this? The, ah, the path MTU discovery, right? You don't want to, to turn your, your computer into a path MTU black hole, right? So you also have to accept the packet to be the packet to be the ICMP messages. They are very useful. Also, equal replies they can be also useful because people use it used to be diagnosed. And those are already three rules, right? That you have to for each packet that you're going to get. You you may have to inspect all those rules until you get you get a verdict on that, right? So this we can do with just one single rule, and this is just a native native implicit set representation just using the curly braces. What else? How many of you have? Uh, how many of you have used TC? Can you raise your hand, please? Okay. Okay, not many. And now you are going to tell me how many of you have have written your own TC script. I mean, you didn't. I'm asking for people that didn't take a script that was already on the internet. Just change it a bit. No, someone that wrote it from scratch. That's very cool. You are very smart people. So, uh, I mean, TC is not nice. Um, everyone knows that. Uh, probably the, the, one, of the, one of the TC maintainers, Yamal, he's not going to be very happy to hear this. I've been telling him for years, but he doesn't, I mean, he, he likes it, so it's okay. So, and anyway, I mean, to each it's poison, right? If you like it, use it. That's Linux. So, um, but it's, it's hard to use. It's from the user, Experience is, is stuff thing. So you, you can get nice or messages like that, like, oh, I want to add a filter. This is basically a second to match on IPv6 and uh, on TCP. Uh, and then I want to make sure next header field is uh, 10, that is basically matching EDP, right? And then the, 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 uh, the port, and then this is going to be drop. Oh my God, I forgot something, invalid argument. Oh, nice, right? <laughs> so what is wrong? Um, so I'm telling this because in the NF tables we are offering a new hook that is happening at ingress as a replacement for TC ingress. So it's something that is not very much well known. Everyone is comparing IP tables and NF tables with pre-routing. It would be good to compare it with ingress because that, that filter is going to happen earlier. The LEIG filter, as you mentioned, 
the more performance you're going to get, especially if those benchmarks are about dropping packets. But there are more things that you have to do, actually, right? It's not only about dropping packets, right? You actually want packets to go to flow through your network, right? So, um, but let's just so show some numbers. So we can get twice faster. This, I forgot, I should mention the kernel where I made this. This benchmark, I made it in 2017 for the conference, for the NetDeck conference in Korea. So it was September this, September 2017. So basically just a quick comparison was showing that using, using the, I'll show you later, but using the PKT gen and there is a feature to inject packets um, in, the ingress, in the ingress path using one single CPU, we could get double packets per second in this packet draw benchmark, right? And using a set, we have a bitmap representation that allows you to, to find matchings very fast. So it's basically just matching one single port or matching them all, or many of them. It was basically giving us the same, the same numbers, roughly, as you can see. So we have this new, this new ingress hook. Beware of that ingress hook because the main difference with, with pre-routing is that there you see everything that kicks in into your computer. I mean, you're going to see ARP traffic or neighbor discovery in case of IPv6. So you have to, in case you, you, you develop, you try to develop a policy, a filtering policy there, make sure that you accept your ARP traffic. That way, that way people complain about that on the main list. Like, I'm accepting TCP traffic, but it's not working. You don't forget about that. So at the ingress hook, you, you, have, you have access basically to filter or all layer two traffic kicking into your computer, right? So what else, uh, what we offer in F-tables? We didn't reinvent the wheel. We offer a command line, a command line tool that is rule-based. Why? Because the people I know, that I know even have problems to configure things using rules, right? So it's simple language. We then we, we also reuse the the table and chain concept. The only difference is that now you can define your own tables and your own chains. The the idea about allowing you to define your own chains is that um, we were um, measuring a noticeable performance drop for chains that were unused. So now you can register the chains that you exactly precisely need, right? Um, so what do we have? It's rule-based language. On the left-hand side, as you can see on, on red, there. So you, you've, got, you've got what you want to match. And then on the right-hand side, you have, this is just a simple value, right? And then all these operands, they are built-in, defined, so you can use them for any, any selector, no matter what selector it is, right? This command represents uh, a list of flags. And you can also set a value or set a, a value based on another another value. This is this is what we do for people that are familiar with with Comark. Probably this is the native repla replacement in their tables, right? So just just a rule based rule based language. But this rule based language is coming with built-in support with sets and maps. So things like these, this whitelist set that we create is going to store IP4 addresses. And then from the rule, you can refer to that 
whitelist set that you create and then there is an, an element command that you can use to add new entries to that set dynamically right from from the control plane a typical configuration here i don't know probably people familiar with docker and kubernetes they ever listed the amount of rules that are generated with, with nats it's a huge list right all those by the way all those generators are quite bad uh, they blow the rules quite a lot so it's quite a lot of performance that is just going to the sink because of that it's there is room to improve it but anyway look at this this is very simple way just a very simple way to to configure uh source nat that is conditional that depends on your source ip address so this is telling you are going to perform source nat based on your source address and this is the map that we built and and this map is actually using a range right it, it's a prefix so it's everything that is in this network is going to use this ip address this is a very convenient com uh, configuration usually for people that want to to at least um keep some for logging keep some semantics keep, keep some in interesting information of where the traffic is coming from we're looking at the logs right it's and this is going to be this is just going to find a it's going to find the address that is going to be used very quickly because it's on the kernel it's 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 implementing a hash table right it's, it's using a hash table for this so we also have timeouts because people like to have white list or black list and people that don't behave right and then you have that guide to that list and then after some time the time the timeout expires and you let it be you consider you consider it to be a nice guy again and that, that kind of stuff that you have to do these days in, in the on the internet right so things like you define a timeout let's say one hour and then you add those elements to this white list and then when you create uh, uh, this is yeah if you don't want to specify if you don't want to specify a global uh, a global timeout you can just say this is going to have timeouts and then specify each timeout per element so we have we have a sparse and fine grain timeout setting for elements but you could also even update update entries from the packet path so so this is basically update the white list set based on the ip uh, ip4 source address and it's going to add a timeout of 30 seconds that is going basically to be refreshed every time that we see a packet that is matching okay We have dictionaries. I mean, it's basically based on, on this map uh, set infrastructure. It's always on the kernel. It's the same infrastructure. This is this is also very convenient to, to find to jump to a chain. This is quickly going to find based on the on the layer four protocol. It's going to jump on the chain that defines the policy for that protocol. So basically, once you define all these uh, custom chains, or we call them these days non-based chains. So based on this IPv4 protocol field, we are going to have this vertical map. So in case of TCP, we are going to jump to this chain or UDP, then to the UDP chain and so on. So we also allow jumps from, from set maps. We can also combine these features with concatenation. So basically the idea of concatenation is that you, you take any selector that we support, the dot is basically providing these this behaviors and you concatenate 
the Ethernet source address, the IPv4 source address, and TCP destination port. So you build this tuple, and based on this tuple, in case that there is a matching, we are going to bump a global counter in this case and accept the traffic. Or we could even, as I said, combine it with, with jumps. So there is a rule set that is defined in the whitelist chain. And for these people here, matching here, we are going to jump to this whitelist. Or we could even use them from dynamic sets. So we only have to define the, the data type. So this is a concatenation of ether, Ethernet address and MVP4 address, and then we are going to add all these elements from the control plane, right? To populate entries in the set. We also support comments. This is quite useful. People like it, so they remember why that rule is there. You can use them from elements, also from rules. Whoa. Name objects are also very convenient because um, one of the main problems that people have to deal with or have to face with IP tables is that when you have dynamic rule sets, you have to start replacing rules and, and it, it, becomes, it, it becomes a bit messy, it becomes a bit hairy. So one of the things that we, that we wanted to have is that we wanted to provide, to provide features that allow system administrators and DevOps to have a rule set that is mostly going to stay static and move the stateful parts away from that and those stateful parts could be updated updated runtime without without needing to replace a rule from the from the rule set do you know what I mean so um, in this case for example we have I, I show you there this is it seems like my computer is driving crazy with this crazy mouse so um, yes it's indeed driving very crazy Yes, I think I'm going to stop using it, so I'm sorry. So um, this is, this is a, a counter just for the laser, laser pointer. No, not even that. Okay. So, so we have a counter object that is attached to the filter table, and this is the HTTP traffic object, so you can use any arbitrary name. And then I created a quota object, too. I used the same name, but I should have used a different name. Oh, no, actually, I could use the same name for different objects, actually. So, um, and then I could refer that from a rule that is not very efficient because you are going to, as I said before, you're going to end up having lots of rules that need to be evaluated. But the, the good thing is that we can use them from maps. So you can quickly look up what counter needs to be updated. In this case, you have counter name, and the name is going to be lookup based on the TCP destination port. Okay. Something quite new, the flow table support. What are these flow tables? These flow tables are a new object that you can define in your rule set. So they do like basically definition is hook ingress. So you're telling this flow table is going to be attached to the ingress hook. As I said, that is coming quite early in the packet path, right? Um, you set a priority in case that you can combine, you want to combine this because the ingress hook, you can also attach a chain. You may probably want to do, 
some sort of filtering before this flow table. And then you, you have to specify what devices are going to be part of this flow table. And I'll tell you why. And then from the, from the forward chain, you're going to specify what flows are placed in this flow table. Okay? And then those, those flows, those packets that match that rule, or it, I mean all those TCP flows that are going to be placed in the flow table, we'll see that offload flag in the connection tracking system. How does this work? So this is a, this is a, a friendly bypass to the kernel. As I said before, the less code intuitively, the less code we run, right? The faster we are going to go. So let's try to provide a way to integrate what we have, what we provide in the stack, in the Linux stack. Provide a simple way to configure it. It's just one single rule, basically, and just this flow table definition. And everything else should be, should be working, but faster. Okay? So idea is, we place this flow table that is basically a hash table that is hooked at ingress. And for each packet that kicks in, we are going to make a lookup. Do we find an entry in the flow table? No. So then the packet follows the classic forwarding path, a slow path, right? And then if it follows the classic forwarding path, is ingress, pre-routing, then forward, because this, this packet is not for us, right? With this flow table also offload, all it works for forwarding. So, and then in the forward chain, we are going to have the, the rule that specifies the policy. So what flows are going to be placed in this flow table, in this fast path. So if that flows matches that rule, then we are going to add an entry to the flow table and let that packet follow its trouble in the stack. Okay, and then follows the neighbor XMIT path and packet its push out sent on the network, okay? So next time, next time we see a packet that is matching a flow table entry, what we do is, okay, we have a hit. In that entry, we have what to do with the packet. We know what Nick has been used last time to set that packet through, okay? So what happens here is that for each packet that kicks in, we know already what to do. We bypass the classic forwarding path. We just place it to the neighbor layer and packets get out. So this is just an explanation, more verbose, of what I've just just told you. There is a garbage garbage collector. I mean, this all integrates with NATs too. So there is NAT mangling that the NAT mangling that happened to the first the, the initial packets that went through the slow path. It's going to be applied also to these packets that follow this this friendly bypass. We decrement TTL for uh, safety reasons. Um, we also make checks on the MTU. If the MTU has, ha, has changed, we pass it up to the slow path so, uh, so, so the stack can do the, the appropriate handling to, the, to that packet. And then the, we also have a graduate collector that is just going to expire flows based on the packets that we see. If we don't see packets for, for quite a bit of time, then entry is expired. And that basically means that the, the packets are going to go back to a slow path, right? And then from that, you can again configure the, the, the fast path. So um, just showing some numbers. So using this Piketty uh, bench XMIT mode law name, it's basically injecting packets uh, um, into the ingress path. So with one single CPU, what we get is, and the smallest, the smallest packet size, what we get is, is 
uh, it's two, two, almost two, almost three times faster in, in forwarding. Okay. And we also keep in mind hardware offloads. All these um, hardware devices are implementing this kind of load table features in hardware. So we already have infrastructure. It's not yet upstream. It's roughly 200 lines of code for the generic infrastructure. And then there is some work that needs to be done on the driver side by the driver developer. But it sure allows us to, to open up for in the near future to, to, to use to use those, those hardware capability to, to even speed up packet processing even further, right? So it's going to be something that, that will be exposed to the user. So the user will have to explicitly request this hardware offload. This is something that we wanted to have because hardware could, could offer different semantics. And it, it is important that the, that the user becomes aware that explicitly ask for that hardware offload, right? There are people that don't want to, don't, don't want to rely on these hardware offloads features. And doing it, doing, it, doing it transparently could lead to, to, to misunderstandings, right? So it's, it, it will be in the flow table definition, there will be a flag that says offload. And then if the, if the NIC is coming or if the chipset is coming with that offload uh, capabilities, then we will use it. If it's not capable, we, we will send a message back to the user to say, we don't support it, I'm sorry, okay? So that's, yeah, basically what I have. It's driving crazy, this thing, so I'm sorry. So that's all. Uh, we have got time for some questions, so. I have got one, uh, if I can try. <laughs> so, uh, can uh, you give some feedback about, um, we have seen uh, improvement on the technical, technical side. Uh, can we have some feedback about the effort to, um, uh, to improve uh, NetFilter as a community? Uh, what the effort that are done to to get more developers uh, embedded in uh, in the project to add diversity? I, I think there, uh, there it exists uh, some efforts on that side. So can yeah, you? Yes, yes. That filter is participating in the Google Summer of Code and also in the Outreachy program. I don't know if you are familiar with the Outreachy program. It's quite a cool program. It's basically, um, I mean, we have a real problem in terms in terms of diversity. Uh, for people that have been have a career in this domain, they know that um, specifically the, the the amount of women that are participating in development it's there is it's quite unfair, right? It's it's and so it's and also other not only women but other um, other collectives that um, other genders, right? The many genders that now we have these days, right? So uh, yes, we are participating in that program, and, and it's, it's a way to attract new developers. Also, the Google Summer of Code, so that is quite useful to to, to attach new students. I mean, the kernel is going faster; it's getting more, more, and more complex. We do more and more things, and the slope is getting steeper and steeper, right? So all these programs are usually 
very good to try to attract new talents to, to work on, on the NetFilter domain. Okay, one last question. Yeah. Um, actually, I was expecting a bit uh, of uh, information or maybe your point of view regarding BPF filter. Oh, that's a very good question. What do you think about that? Uh, yes, because obviously the aim of a BPF filter is to provide a compatibility layer in order to produce uh, accelerated bytecode and stuff like that. There is also things ongoing on NFT in order to make some fast pass, obviously. So which one is going to eat the other and what's the plan for, uh, I mean, there's probably something to be done either choosing BPF or uh, NFT. So what's your point of view on the situation? Yeah, I think people will have to make a choice. So yeah, to each it's poisoned, right? So you will choose which one fits better for your needs. The answer is no choice. <laughs> yeah, it's it's Linux way, right? We have plenty of way to do packet classification these days, right? You can use TC, you could use IP tables, and now you can use BPF, right? So you just use what you need. So you need you need to get a bit of programmability, then then BPF is going to help you, right? Then you, you don't have engineers in your team that can deal with all that programmability, and they are, they already have troubles with command line. Then you use command line. Right, and then probably at some point, BP filter is going to be mature enough to be used from the comma line side too. And then you will have to run benchmark and say which one is better or which one suits better because it's just up to it's technical decision, right? So up to the engineering team to decide what is, what is better. Competitions is always good, right? We always get something better, right? So that's positive. And we are going to compete. <laughs> Take it for sure. So, thank you very much. <laughs>